This is episode number three ten. When is fear healthy and even necessary for success? With Casey Berman. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First announcement being in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our upcoming event on September 23rd called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. This is a three-day experience where you'll be able to identify the origins of your fears and different ways that you'll be able to transform them into strengths through a series of workshops provided by six different speakers from all over the world, as well as a series of breakout sessions that will follow each and every single one of the presentations. If you'd like to know more details about this upcoming experience, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find all the latest details as well as ways that you can become a part of this particular experience. Now, let's get back to the show. There he is. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thanks for having me as always, and thanks for having such a great question. (laughs) Yeah, I've realized something that's, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate to come to this point in my life where I'm able to explore a lot of these things that I'm genuinely passionate about and I know it's taken me years to get to this point where I can freely have a lot of these conversations. And so I figured that there truly was not a better person to have this this conversation with than you, primarily because a lot of the work that you've done, in fact, if I remember correctly, I think one of your courses, right, that you shared with me, there's a whole series of modules around fear. And so I figured that maybe the best way to even start that off is to identify what is fear to begin with. And I based on the work that you've done and everything that you've read to this point, how do you identify fear? Well, if you look from the word itself, which we always like to do, and, you know, fear comes from a number of different areas, but, but old English and and Germanic, and there, there's a number of different definitions for it, but essentially it meant uh, like we talk about trembling, um, feeling in danger, uh, there's a lot of that. There's other threads of the the original roots of fear, which come from cowering, you know, cowering in the face of God or things along those lines, feeling small, things like that. So the word fear from an, from a word history standpoint seems to have been pretty consistent as, as to how we, we view it now. And so now when you look at fear in in the past century and particularly how we're using it, it now, the word is coming up in 
um, you know, looking at ways similarly where we're, we're feeling thoughts that are not necessarily beneficial to us. Uh, we're feeling in stress. We're feeling in danger. So that's kind of how we look at fear. I think fear, how I like to view it from, from kind of a spiritual standpoint was this definition is that, you know, fear is a feeling. It's an emotion. And you can parse out feelings and emotions as different things, but let's assume they're the same thing right now. Let's, let's make them synonymous. So there's really only two emotions or feeling in life, and that is fear or love. And what that really means is that there's a choice that we all have that we can make or that is made for us where we either kind of view the world through our lens, through our perspective as something that is fearful and to be um, trembling and to, to not want to be a part of, to kind of view this world as a prison. That's where anxiety and worry and all of that comes from. Or you can kind of view it from a lens of love and love doesn't necessarily mean, you know, romantic love or woo woo or, or bliss ninny. The world is great. It doesn't even mean positive thinking. Uh, love can be collaboration, cooperation, optimism, things along those lines. So if you look at it that way, then fear is kind of the antithesis of love. I think people would even say there really is only love. There's only God, there's only the universe. Um, but that's really when you come to it, if you had to kind of draw a demarcation, it's, it's how am I looking at the world? Am I looking at the world through a fearful lens and am I looking at, or am I looking at it through, through a, a love lens, through a, an optimistic lens, if you will. And we do both throughout the day. I just don't view the world through a love lens at all. So that's kind of the background on fear, sort of how we view it here. Now, to jump into the question when it's healthy and necessary for success, we can talk a lot about how fear is bad, but mm -hmm. if you think about fear or you think, even if we want to reframe it, I'm not a big fan of the F word being healthy and necessary. I don't think it is. Um, I would like to reframe fear into something else. Um, we all know where that, when we get that adrenaline rush, whether it's, you know, something that helps us, um, first off is it helps us be safe when you think about it, caution. Um, I mean, think about fear as a child, watch both ways before you cross the street. Right. And so, yeah. um, fear, or we can find a new word for it really helps us keep us safe in life. Um, it can be a surprise. I mean, think about it. If you knew your future and you knew everything that was going to happen to you, probably be pretty boring. I mean, I know there are people out there who would say, I'd love to know everything. No, Casey, I disagree. But I have a feeling that if you really knew what you wanted in life or you could have uh, Aladdin's wishes, you would you would want um, surprise. You'd want to be able to pull yeah, a surprise. sense of adventure. Yeah. Um, so those are two. It keeps you safe. Um, it can bring in surprise. It can bring in connection, kind of third with people. Misery loves company. Um, struggle, being in the trenches. That's not necessarily fear, but the kind of that that pain of it all. Um, you know, pain is something that that we have a belief that no pain, no gain. That pain is actually a good thing, can and can't be. But it gives you connection. It also gives you focus, right? So if you think of it, keeps fear or a synonym we can think of keeps you safe. Um, it can bring surprise in life. It can connect you with others, which is great. Um, <clears throat> and it can also give you focus. So I'll pause there, but that's kind of the background on fear. And those are some ways 
that fear or another word if we want can actually be uh, beneficial or productive to you. Do you think parts of it, it, there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I find interesting. First is the evolution of the concept of fear, starting from the early stages of it. And I don't know how much of it is possible to really know like where, how did fear evolve and what was the initial concept and how much of it has just been added on through our own interpretations of it and the different events. I know that now living in this day and age, yes, everything is a matter of perspective, but a there's so much more information that is available when it comes to just understanding the world. So I'm curious, when it comes to this concept of fear, just based on your own experience, do you find that you've been, you've added a lot more layers to it rather than fr from what it initially was, like fearing the, the tiger or the bear or whatever that might be going after you? Now it's like fear of not choosing to take action because not enough money, not enough time, too many responsibilities, all these other things. Do you find that maybe to a degree you've made the concept of fear more complex than it needs to be to begin with? I think it's a great point. Yes. Sure. I mean, it, declarative yes. And that's because <laughs> a, a lot of our fears are the flip side of a lot of our benefits. And so plastic, when plastic became when when plastic was put into greater production after world war ii it made things more safe um it insulated things it made food safe you could preserve food you didn't have to worry about problems with food um you know you didn't have to worry about food going bad i mean there were economic and so many different benefits when it came to plastic but Look at, look at the flip side of it. We've got this pool, this swirl of plastic in the North Pacific that is, is killing fish. And now fish are eating plastic. And so should we eat fish because now we're eating plastic? So, and you go on and on. The, the world is so much safer and less fearful nowadays. Infant mortality is down. The number of murders going down. I know we're hearing all of the, the bad news in the Ukraine. We're hearing all the bad news over the past 20 years from 9-11 to, to COVID to, to in the 90s. If you go back 30 years to, um, to the wars in Central Africa, the Israelis and Palestinians, and we go on and on. But if you really look at it and you go back a few hundred years, um, mm -hmm. the number of people that have died from sort of internal domestic crime and murders and the number of people who have died from international nation on nation war and violence is dramatically reduced. This is just a much safer world, notwithstanding what the media uh, puts. And I'm not just pointing a finger at the media. I'm just literally saying that if you look at the history, we are, we are trending in such a phenomenal way if safety is your main metrics metric, right? Um, so there's a lot to celebrate, but a lot of what benefits us, plastic, technology, Wi-Fi waves, iPhones, um, you think of pharmaceutical. So a lot of this, which totally benefits us, there is actually or a perceived downside to it. So that's yeah. pretty scary when we have something that really benefits us that we rely on it. Hmm. And then at, we knew it at the time or we come out later to realize this is actually killing us. Mm-hmm.
that's pretty fearful. It, it is. I, I'm also curious when, when it comes to, once again, not, not to point fingers on media or anything else, but I'm curious, and we might have had this conversation before, but why does, why does it appear for fear to sell more than love? Is it because it like, is it a stronger emotion? Is it more deeply rooted within us than love? Or is there something else? So I think it is more deeply rooted. Um, I think the idea of fear helping us to survive as beneficial as it was uh, to us, each of us in our early years and as humans in the beginning of time, which I'll get to, fear is still ingrained. Seth Godin calls it our lizard brain. So it's that it's that legacy, excuse me, that legacy piece that's still there. So if we go back to each of us as individuals when we were when we were just born or a baby, obviously there's the the points around our, our parents, rightfully so, wanted us out of danger. Don't climb high on the rocks and and um, be careful all the time, right? <clears throat> you think of when we go back a few hundred thousand years, if the agricultural revolution, which really wasn't a revolution, but was around 12,000 years ago, I think the first Homo sapiens, oh God, 100,000 years ago, maybe 200,000, we have to check check my math, but, but 70 to about 100,000 <laughs> years ago, I think humans, Homo homo sapiens wiped out the Neanderthals about 70,000 years ago. Wiped out. I'm mm -hmm. assuming they did, but that was where the split was. So, um, but at that point of consciousness where you had our, our great ape ancestors, some sort of primates, maybe 200,000 years ago, 300,000 years ago, you have an identity mm. because all of a sudden we have a written, a, a verbal utterance. It's not really a language, but it's a verbal utterance. So you think of two primates. 200,000 years ago, and they can say something. Now, the primate probably can't say, hey, um, there's a lion down by the water. Let's watch out and, and plan and strategize. I don't think their verbal skills were that adept, but they could grunt to each other and connect each other that that primate is this sound or even that identity and this primate. Once that separation occurred consciously, all of a sudden now there's the other and the other could be, you know, my San Francisco giants and Los Angeles Dodgers, right? Like there's that, which brings a lot of fear, but you also need for a good rivalry. But if you think mm -hmm. about 200,000 years ago as primates trying to survive, there's the other. And the other is the healthier male who might get the food and the females. And I will be ostracized from the tribe. There's <clears throat> the lion or the saber tooth tiger or something that could, could kill. So fear the more fearful you were, the more paranoid you were, while that took a toll on your, maybe it might've given you an ulcer and kept you up at night and made you tired. <laughs> it also was probably the best way to make sure that you didn't get eaten or make sure you mm -hmm. didn't get beaten out for the food. And that has continued with us. Uh, people call it, I'm just being realistic. Um, people mm. call it things like that to, I, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that has uh, continued. I think our consciousness level and has has grown and and love and collaboration is something that is more prevalent nowadays, particularly with podcasts like this, particularly 
Disney movies and there are those Hollywood movies as cheesy as they are, as part of the system they are, there are some good messages in there. Um, but we as a people for, for 40 years, five years and 40,000 years have really been programmed, whether we know it or not, to really expect the worst. Um, and part of that was survival. I think the issue now is there are no saber tooth tigers. There, there are not so that we know of. We can lock our doors, even if mm -hmm. we live, even if there are saber tooth tigers and we live on the tundra, right? Um, there are so many ways to make money. I mean, there are 11 million open jobs in America right now. And so being beat out by the bigger male in the tribe for the food really isn't an issue now unless you make it one. So you can survive. And not only that, you can survive with a specialized skill with money and commerce where before you needed to do everything in the tribe, hunt, gather, and just do everything for better or for worse. Now you can really focus on one thing, being a podcast host, and make a living off it and feed your family. So there are so many good benefits to it, but um, we still keep that fear because one, the media shows us how scary the world can be. Um, and two, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's ingrained in us still. Was fear ever a big component of your identity? Yeah, it still is, but it was. I, do you think I, it ever I, leaves us, or do you, do you think it's? Do you think it ever leaves us, or do you think it's always with us? I think it's well, always with us. I think if anything, it probably just transforms, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a way to look at it. There's a number of ways to look at it, and it's a great question. I mean, the one thing is to say it's kind of in my DNA, right? Like it's there. Uh, my parents taught it to me, their parents taught it to them, or maybe it's just some sort of gene or something physiological or chemical from like we talked about a few hundred thousand years ago. That may be the case. Uh, you could also look at it as that it's a choice. And I have a choice every day to view the world uh, through a fearful lens or through through a more loving lens. And that could be even something minute, like doing this podcast, like, oh, I got to wake up. I'm going to be tired. I could use yeah. another hour sleep. You know, like Oleg's going to ask me tough questions. I may not have an answer. <laughs> I'm going to get embarrassed. You know, there's a lot. That's all fear. Yeah. Um, and some of it's, and right. it's like, all real. If, yeah. To a degree, it's all real. Right. And there's a certain point where if you're tired and you need to sleep, fill your body, yes, cancel out. But then there are just points, and we know it, where, God, I'm just making this up. Um, I could really do this. What am I really afraid of? I'm afraid of saying something stupid and being rejected. Oof. Come on, Casey. Come on now. You know you're not going to do that. You know you know what you're talking about. And, and if you don't know what you're talking about, just say it and move on to something that you do. No one's going to kill you. No one's going to hire a blimp right after this podcast and – and 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 pay the money to let it go over a metro area saying Casey was stupid. Like no one's going to do that, but that's what runs through our mind. I think the biggest fear is death, literal and figurative. When you really think about it. Um, and the spiral could be, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I'm going to lose my job. My spouse is going to leave me. She's he or she's going to be embarrassed by me. Uh, you're going to take the kids. I'm going to run out of money. Um, society's going to turn on me. I'm going to have to sell my house or lose my house. I'm going to go live in a box on a street with nothing and I'm going to die. Um, and we spiral out of control, whether we know it or not. It's really that fear of ultimately of death. 
And I think to a degree, it, now that you even brought that up, I, I know this is a concept that I've found to be challenging to embrace and also to answer on my own, this whole concept of fearing death. I would say even to this point, I do fear elements of it solely because of the deep connections I've been able to develop with many people and leaving and not knowing what's on the other side, right? Do you get another life or do you not? Do you come back as a squirrel, as a table or whatever the, the form is? And I think that's the ultimate thing. And I guess what I'm also understanding to this point is how much of fear is associated with simply the concept of uncertainty and unknown. <clears throat> stepping into the unknown, stepping into the uncertainty and fearing it when the reality is just like you mentioned, I have a choice. I can choose to step into it with whatever resources I have at hand and just trust the process, trust that there's something else other than myself that's helping me along the way. Or I could put all my eggs into one basket and say, nope, this is it. This is the yeah. only way. And there's nothing else that's at play. And and yes. And I, I also, I like what you pointed out at the beginning because I used to focus on this for many years. Uh, plan for the war. What's the phrase? Plan for the worst. Uh, something Expect best. the best. Expect the best. Yeah. I focused on that for many years. And I kid you not. The circumstances I was always, not always, but I, I was attracting most of the time were the worst of circumstances. Yeah. So you know, because of that mindset. Right. It's funny. I was, I was just chilling a few days ago and I was doing some, some meditation, thinking about death and thinking about, okay, if my body stopped, you know, if I got stabbed or I died or I'd be, you know, calm with it and I'd be like a sage and, you know, I wouldn't be fearful or I'd be a little, but I'd be calm with death. And I was just thinking about death, which many of us don't do, but I was thinking about it. And I felt really good about myself. I felt powerful, strong. I felt immortal. I felt great. Right. Um, and then my son, who's in a phase of like scaring and pulling, uh, scaring me and pulling pranks on everyone, um, you know, jumped out from behind me and scared the living, you know, what out of me. And I'm like, right. And I said, <laughs> hmm, okay, I guess, I guess I am still scared. And uh, and that's fine. But there was that point of, I, I think, I mean, I know we're all bodies and we all associate ourselves as humans. We have identity as humans and we like that identity, even if it prevents us from being with God universe. Yeah, it doesn't serve us. Right. It, even though it doesn't serve us. And if, if all the sages and Elon Musk um, himself are correct, that this is a simulation or a dream, um, then, you know, being a, identifying with the human body is only perpetuates that dream, you know? So my daughter last night asked me, it was, it was only like 1030 at night and where she's falling asleep. And, you know, she asked me an easy question about death and, uh, particularly our, our pet rat, uh, passed away. And uh, we did have pet rats who I never, I never knew pets could be a rat until my, <laughs> until had, you have one yourself, <laughs> until we have one ourselves. We have a dog too. I take care of the dog. My wife and kids really love the rats. Um, I think they like, love me equally as the rats, but I'm not sure. But one rat <laughs> passed away. One rat passed away and very sad. And so my daughter was thinking about it last night. And she's obviously was also thinking about um, all the, the violence and carnage um, and just senseless death in, in the Ukraine right now. And, you know, she asked, I mean, she just had an open-ended question, like, 
how do I, how do I process this? What do I think about? It? And so, um, it's 10 45 or 10 30 PM. So I'm trying, I said, okay. So I had to sit down and kind of put my brain cells together and, and try and comfort her, but also not just comfort her in an inauthentic way, but, but find some way to think about this. And so I said, all right, well, let's think about, um, Devi, our rat who passed, or let's think about, you know, someone like you or anyone in the Ukraine who just died and who just died, not from old age, but just, and, and not didn't willingly die. Right. Um, didn't commit suicide, but was killed by someone else. And that body has stopped. And now if you believe there is no soul, then it just stops. Right. But if you believe there's an energy or a soul or something, then that person either comes back as another body because they've got more to work out. They've, they got to come back into this dream. Um, if you saw soul by the, the, by Disney, believe it or not, I think Disney actually did That's a pretty quite good the job. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Visualizing this. And so you come back as another body right away or take some time. I'm not, I don't know how it works. So that's one. Now, if you're done with this world and you've worked everything or most of it out and you don't want to, or you don't need to come back as a body, well, you're the best way I can do it is you are swimming or floating or connected with the all being with, with love. You're in a big, white, fluffy, however you want to visualize it. And I'm not religious at all. I'm not institutionalized religious at all, but you're, but there is so much our minds can't comprehend. Um, and so you're floating in something and you're not thinking about media. You're not, you're just elsewhere. And, um, you have a pleasure. I mean, think about it. If it's all love and there's no fear, you have a pleasure. You're back home. Yeah, we have a, a sense of pleasure and love and connectedness that we can, our, our little minds can't even comprehend. And our brains are powerful, but our minds can't comprehend it. So, and then we said maybe there's purgatory or limbo, but let's assume mm -hmm. we don't go there. I think I don't mm -hmm. think that even exists. I think that's some Christian way to even scare us more. Um, maybe there are other areas, but if you're coming back as a body, then you're back here. Um, and I know the pain, right? Your body hurts. People are going to miss you. You're going to miss people. But if the idea is you, when you die, you either come back here as a body, if you believe in that, or you're floating up in some beautiful pool of love in the heavens, um, not even the heavens, in somewhere in the universe. My daughter said, wow, maybe death isn't so bad. And um, maybe it's not. I can't comprehend. You, I'd be scared out of my mind if I was getting shelled. Yeah. Right in Kiev. Like I'd be, I'd be as much as I can talk this, I'd be scared out of my, my gourd. Um, but hopefully I could take a little bit of this idea to, to call me if I were to die or, or if, if I were to lose others. So do you think a sense of purpose is predetermined for who you are? Or, or like your time on this planet? Or how do you, you know, I said that? lose others. Like I lost them. I mean, who am I mm -hmm. to lose others? If they right. die, even if I'm close to them, who am I to lose? Like, are they mine? Right? Look at the, look at the words I'm using. Oh yeah. I use the same thing with my dog. 
I've just, yeah. I'm trying to retrain myself doing it now, yeah. but I'll say the same thing. Like my dog, when really it's just, I'm responsible for the dog. Right. Sorry, you had uh, your question. Oh, lost him for a second. I'm here. There, you're back. <laughs> Sorry, but, I jumped I in. I mean, you words do matter. Question. No, I was saying words do matter. And I, I find myself the same exact thing saying how how it's my dog when really I'm just responsible for the being on this planet. Right. But I'm curious, kind of going back to an earlier point you made in regard to the sense of purpose and whether or not you come back and in what form and all these other things. Do you believe that a sense of pur purpose is predetermined for who you are? It could be. It could be. I think the question is, as we're in this, in this world, whether we have the courage to find that sense of purpose. Um, I think a lot of people, from what I've read and what I've heard is one way, and, and a lot of this is, is very Hindu and Buddhist in nature, but from what I've read and heard, one way that you can look at the world is that our soul, the energy agreed to come here, popped into a body, I'm still working this out. I'm still researching it. So I don't know. If actually <laughs> this is all work in progress right now. <laughs> all work in progress. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to understand it. Others, other very smart people have, have written and thought this up going back thousands of years, but I'm just trying to understand it. But in new chose the path. And, but the idea is that um, then forgot it. So the idea of the the Hindus, while while kind of Christianity and and America, Europe, what they used to call the Western world, um, view the world in a very mechanical way. You you build things, um, right? You know, uh, Jesus was the son of a carpenter, right? There's it's kind of a construction. I think for when you, when you think of the the traditions, religious and ideological traditions from from Asia, theirs is more of a drama. And, you know, so when you think about illusion, we hear the, in Hinduism, they call the world is an illusion. The word illusion really comes from the Latin and Sanskrit and Latin. There were a lot of shared words, um, which really came from a game and from acting. And so you can kind of view the world as a construction and something we're building, which I think in America, you have productivity, you have rockets, you have bulldozers, right? Um, and I'm not saying that's not in Asia, but what I'm saying is that, you know, the, the, the themes of Hinduism, and Buddhism, which I think many people in, in who have dealt with kind of the Judeo-Christian culture, um, we find it appealing because it's different. Um, it's more comforting, but it is really around that this is a game, that this is a drama. And the idea is that the this sense of whether it's God or the universe or feeling or energy, this thing that we're looking at, the source, right, um, is inside of all of us, but it's the audience and the actor. And if we were to go to a movie and really enjoy it, it's due in large part because of the people acting it convince us that it's real for that hour and a half. Because if they don't, if when someone says, well, the acting was so-so, it's because we didn't believe it, right? And so right mm -hmm. now in 
this movie. We're in this story. We're in this drama. We need the surprise. Um, and so when fear is healthy is when you're able, we've talked about this, to have a foot outside of the drama and a foot inside. So we know that we're in the play, we're in the audience, we're in the theater. Um, but we also know that after a while, we're going to, the lights are going to go on and we're going to walk out and this horrible, violent or stressful movie or whatever it is, um, where you can go back to our cozy home. Um, so yeah. How do you interpret the information that you get from the, all these different characters in the movie, myself included? Cause it, in knowing you for however long it's, how long has it been? Two years? Going up to two years, I think. Yeah. I, I felt that you are able to take this neutral stance when it comes to information. And I, I've been really curious and, and actually I've learned a lot from you when it comes to that, when it comes to events or people not being sold by what's presented to you, but more so taking a stance from, well, it could be this, but it could, it could also be that. How did you get to that point? I mean, not necessarily trying to find the origin. I don't know if that's possible, but yeah. how did you get to that realization that everything is neutral and it's all based on the meaning that I choose to associate with it. Um, some smart people that I read said that. <laughs> um, but it's more than reading. You have to really understand. And you, people may not like the line I'm about to say, but everything is meaningless. And what we mean by that is not meaningless in the sense that it's stupid or dumb or not interesting, but literally it's lacking meaning. It's neutral. The meaning comes from each of us. So if, I mean, there's a picture of my children right behind my head here, you know, that doesn't mean much to anybody. That could be like the, the thing you get in Walgreens when you buy a frame, like, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, to me, it means everything. To me, it means everything. And so, and it's a, it's a piece of paper that has taken the reflection of the light and imprinted it on a type of paper that reacts to the light and the work they do in a, in, in, uh, in a printing lab. And, and I have this picture and that I give meaning to it, that these are my children when they were younger and I either get nostalgic or I get happy or, or subconsciously I feel something. Um, but you, you don't, other people don't, they don't care. It's just two kids. Um, they're really cute or, you know what, they're really not that cute. And actually they're kind of annoying who knows right now they're giving meaning. If they see my kids and view that picture as annoying. So, um, then they're giving it meaning, but nonetheless, it is, it's neutral. Now I don't do that all the time. Um, or let me put it this way. I give meaning all the time. We all do. When I'm calm, I realize I'm the one giving the meaning. When I'm joyful or anxious or whatever the case may be, I'm usually immersed in the dream, forgetting or choosing to forget that I've got a foot out in the real world, which is, which is not in here. Um, and I'm playing the game. I'm in here. I've lost myself. I don't realize I'm the actor and the audience. And I'm either getting angry because my kids aren't doing such and such. I'm either joyful because my kids and I are having a blast. And that's okay. We're humans in this game. The point is not to be 100% out of the game, even though that might be not so bad to be enlightened and just be 
gleefully in with the universe all the time. The point is just to to realize that even 5%, 1%, 8% of the time, you just kind of pull back and realize that that it's okay. So, mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. I think having that uh, level of perspective, being able to differentiate between the two has been key for me because I think that's that's where I've been able to get not the ultimate meaning, but let's say better meaning and, and better decision-making. Yeah. Um, Casey, how do people connect with you and what do you have coming up? I know that you and I will be part of an event in September that I'll briefly address at the end. But before, where can people find a little bit more about who you are, what you have going on regarding courses, any of the work that you're doing with Leave Law Behind? Yeah, I always joke. I was a, a Jewish kid who didn't like blood. So I didn't go to medical school. <laughs> I went to law school. That's about as critically as I thought about it. And I realized law school wasn't uh, wasn't the best for me. But I practiced law for five years. And now um, for the past uh 12 years or so, 13 years, I've been helping unhappy attorneys to career transition out of the law. So you can find me at leavelawbehind.com, uh, where we have a ton of free resources to help attorneys overcome their fears and blockers on becoming their best self and finding their next non-law career. Mm-hmm. And one other thing that you and I will be a part of is this event in Austin in September called Survive to Thrive, Face Your Fears. So very similar to what the conversation you and I just had for anyone that's going to be tuned in. Um, this will be an in-person event in Austin, Texas, where you'll do a deep dive into your fears and origins. And I know you'll be one of them kind of breaking down what does fear mean, what are the origins of it. And I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person for the first time. Yeah. Uh, above all else, right? It's, it's a little bit crazy. crazy to... I hope it's been crazy, but you and I have connected yeah. so much virtually. I can only imagine how much fun it'll be when we when we see each other in person. Yeah. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next time.